little sweet one with your heart of gold. I know of a place where we can be alone Gee, to join our souls in sacred truth. Hey! Hey! I wanted me in on this thing. Yeah, what about my soul, you think? much better now um chuck won't be joining us on video if you don't mind at all <laughs> the laptop is outside of the booth so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I only want to use a little bit of video i won't be using like the whole video so you don't have to worry about you know <laughs> being too presentable or whatever <laughs> i i probably would break the internet with my looks so yeah, it's probably for yeah. the best that it's yeah, you'll notice I created this whole getup around my microphone to kind of hide my face a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, actors do it. I read that they have. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us, Lisa, on Conversations with Robbie Sherman. Uh, we got our friend Chuck from the All Night Drive-In Picture Show, and your podcast is Sass and Sips, and we're here to talk about 1972's Fritz the Cat. Uh, what would you think about the the movie, Lisa? Uh, I wasn't expecting it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uh, seemed to catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have heard of the movie, and my understanding was it was just like you know a dirtier version of Felix the Cat. Um, yeah. Apparently, I was wrong in that, but but I didn't <laughs> realize. Oh, okay, just how dirty. So. You know, that was fun. <laughs> Chuck, uh, you were saying you had a pretty good rewatch this time around. It was, it was good. I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, when I record something like this, I watch the movie like four or five times. So I think I've seen it enough now, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like I think totally. I've, I've hit my limit. Um, there are things that I still really, you know, dug about it. There was some, some stuff, a lot of stuff in it that was kind of like, wow you know um, yeah and it's kind of one of those things like we talk on our show we always say you know it was a different time but it was still wrong you know yeah. and so i felt a lot of that going through and uh and i don't like fritz like i i, I never managed to like fritz at all yeah. so <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, I think the only reason the movie's tolerable is because Bakshi like understands how to play this character to where he's not only the butt of the joke, but like we perfectly understand that he is an immature asshole that does not yeah. change yeah. and fucks up everything around him. Right, <laughs> I right. Think you just read my notes. 
<laughs> was that your initial impressions, like, after getting done with the movie? Oh, yeah. I just was like, this dude is way over his head. He wants to be included in everything, and all he does is just fuck shit up. Yeah. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. He does. Totally does. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, why don't we go ahead and get into the movie? We're just going to kind of go through a good deal of the main plot points, and I've got some little details I think we should definitely pick out, and you can interject whenever you have something you want to comment on or you know, want want to put into the conversation. We're happy to have you and whatever you have to say. You know, um, I'm, I'm really glad to have you this time around because, number one, you're a lifetime New Yorker, so maybe you could kind of clear up a little th- uh, some of the little <laughs> things you know, that might pop up. You know, us Indiana boys <laughs> don't really understand. We begin the movie, like, with this little, uh, it's not exactly a monologue. It's basically just one line. Hey, yeah, the 1960s, happy times, heavy times. And uh, that, that brings in this, like, big overview of New York, and it leans in on this construction site. We have these three probably middle-aged gentlemen working, and and they're talking about you know the sexual politics of the day going on with the youth, and this is where we start establishing themes in the movie about the you know the older generations butting up against the newer generations of the sixties. Do you uh, do you have anything to say on this scene, Lisa? It just seems like a very stereotypical image of New York. I mean, granted, I've walked past my fair share of construction workers, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that, you know, whole sitting up on the bar, you know, talking like that about that is, you know, just the image of them kind of slacking off and all that. Yeah. Is, is it true? I don't know. I mean, but I, I, I recognize that a lot in media you know especially you know in the in the past maybe not as much as recently but yeah yeah i uh, i hope you notice in the animation about how there's a very particular quality to, to the coloring of it because they have they they created what was called an oil can type look and it's like a mixture of green reds and purples and if you'll notice throughout the film they do this for almost all the backgrounds and they took actual like stills of new york city and painted over them to create this you know Mm -hmm. it's vibrant but it's also dirty and it also makes you feel a little skeezy on a certain level because of how dirty it comes off (laughs) and uh you know i think that element of the film is part of what gives it such a vitality and even though like it always kind of bases itself around simple simpler ideas of working class life such as construction workers or you know later on the film we see spiritual leaders that do not seem as in on their religion as they would like to project um most of these conversations outside of a few of the main cast members they were recorded like by real life people that lived around Bakshi. So at least we have this sense that these are real people that like recorded these conversations and they, they did this off the cuff. You know, a lot of these are just very relaxed conversations about whatever topic was coming up. And the yeah, fact that I'm sorry, no, you, please. I was going to say, no, I definitely got that feeling when like the club scenes and the, all the background stuff, it just felt like, you know, I was, um, you know, like I was sitting in a bar, or in a park and just overhearing it's it's very natural sounds here constant chatter yeah like he would record a good deal of the stuff outside like later on when uh when we get to like a scene in a bar a lot of that was recorded in an actual bar you know with members of black militants and uh you know other types of african-american associations coming in to just kind of riff with him and get drunk with him and it's mm-hmm. it's really big change in animation up to this point because up to this point almost all animation has been inside a nice recording studio and you get everything real clean and evenly mixed and this uh the soundtrack i think is like one of the things that keeps the film from aging in the ways other films of its era have and uh yeah i i hope uh, i'm glad you found something to appreciate in that you know even this early on on a certain level you know did that grab you at all like when it first started were you expecting the film to start out with this you know 
base milieu of working class life? No, not at all. I, I, I really didn't know what to expect, but if I had to take a guess, it wouldn't have been that. <laughs> um, do you have anything to say about the scene, Chuck? Well, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting how the construction workers idealize their past. And to me, it felt like, in a way, Bakshi's kind of saying, okay, we have these guys that are idealizing, what, the 40s, the 50s, whatever yeah. era these guys came from. And he was already, in the early 70s, realizing that the 60s, that whole movement and the hippie movement and the free love and stuff like that, it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Because, totally. you know, now, I mean, in the 90s, we had this kind of like... 60s renaissance was the whole thing you know and you know it's the 60s but it's it's different and they re tried to redo woodstock and a couple of times and um with mixed results and so but now when you look back on works about the 1960s and the hippie movement there's it's much more clear-eyed about how the misogyny was still there, how the racism was still there, you know, all that stuff. Yep. And I feel like with these construction workers, uh, I, I totally agree with Lisa. Like, this is something that you would probably see in media in years past. Like the first thing that popped into my head when I saw it was that photo from Life magazine from way back when, probably in the 1940s, 50s, where all these construction workers are sitting on a beam and eating lunch and they're way the hell on up there. Yeah. And so it, it's interesting to like have kind of a, a callback to an image like that, but then to have one of the guys stand up and piss down onto the head of a hippie, you know? And, yeah. and so it's, it's kind of, um, I, I hope that Bakshi was trying to frame this to say, you know, obviously, these guys might be full of shit about their era and the hippies might also be full of shit about their era. Totally. You know, I mean, full disclosure, like the, the hippie thing, like if it was all in the up and up, like I'm all for it. Right. Like yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not like a, you know, Republican or libertarian or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm, but you also have to be clear eyed about these movements and what they are. And I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble Politically, and I think that's kind of what Bakshi kind of gets into as the movie goes on. You know, we get yeah. into trouble with these things when we look at them as a set of ideals and start worshiping the ideals rather than looking at them for what they are and trying to fix the real problems that are there. So, totally, that's a that's a fantastic statement, Chuck. Um, yeah, that uh, trail of urine leads into our opening credits, which have very striking. <laughs> use of colors and the like the urine turns into like the sparkling wine type effect that leads us through the very base credits we get a little bit more credits at the end of the movie but this sets up who our director is and everything they i think they even give crumb a credit on the front of this though i don't think he was happy about that yeah, Robert Crumb, the creator of this um if you don't know who he is he's a well-noted uh, avant-garde cartoonist that has very personal work that many would say border on the pornographic and i would definitely say that and i do not like a lot of his work and i actually was thinking about this last night i like this movie more than i like almost all of robert crumb's body of work <laughs> wow <laughs> i like the whole like Ralph Bakshi filmography more than I like Robert Crumb's <laughs> work. Right, right. Like it feels more human to me in a certain way. Like, like I always feel like <laughs> Bakshi is speaking in a third person, you know, and showing these things from the third person. And like Crumb is so personal. It's, it's frustrating. <laughs> um, but anyways, that leads us into another big overview of New York City, uh, taking us into Washington Square Park, I believe. And we have a little nod to Crumb at the beginning of this with these two dogs doing this long-footed walk that is basically a replication of the Mr. Ah, I've forgotten the name of this guy. <laughs> well, that's why we have editing, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
yeah. But uh, this is like a little crawl out, call out that Crumb has uh, <laughs> throughout his whole like comic. I can't, I can't remember the name of this character for the life of me, so I'm just going to dump this point. <laughs> and this brings us into the children all like, not the children, but like young teens and uh, like younger college people playing in the park. You know, they're trying to get attention and whatever. It's a big hoot and nanny. And this is a very, I think this is like where we start establishing the themes of the 1960s, like even harder. Like, cause this is, this is more reminiscent, reminiscent of something that would probably be happening in the early 1960s with the prevalence of folk music and the way it's set up. Um, right. I definitely think they take uh, Fritz like on a very loose journey that encapsulates many things about the 1960s that are not <laughs> you know it's not just one like aspect of it like it's the whole 1960s like he's trying to right. capture that whole decade in this film and it's like to the film's detriment and to the film's advantage um would you guys agree with that <laughs> i'm sorry if i'm speaking a little question. fast no 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 um i didn't really give that much thought um in terms of like Di- you know, encaps in, in cat encompassing. Yeah, <laughs> my words don't work today. Um, you know, the whole decade in one movie, but but it feels right. You know. Yeah. Well, and I read something that said that they try somebody on some website because everybody has a website for something, right? Like, yeah. they they tried to triangulate to figure out when this likely would have taken place like and they came up with 1966 because yeah. of certain mentions of certain things like i think uh gold in my ear i think was a mention and the fact that um the but then well i don't know because the flip wilson character geraldine jones that comes up here in the beginning like that was i think created later so i don't know i yeah i mean i i do agree though that it does this does feel kind of like pre summer of love simply because you know they're still dressing yeah. in the turtlenecks they're still playing the acoustic guitars you know it's yeah. i mean um so yeah i mean i i think this is where he starts i guess this can speaking of words that don't work lisa i'm i'm right there <laughs> I'm with sorry. you no that's okay that's okay it was going to happen to me no matter what uh, um i I feel like here, this coupled with the construction workers thing, the construction workers scene at the beginning is what made me think that he was saying, yeah, those guys are full of shit. And look, so are all these guys that are supposedly, you know, as they would say, hip to what's going on. So 15 um, renditions of lemon tree. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess so. I I don't know. I Fritz just um, frustrates me so much. I'm kind of like, I want to go punch him in the mouth right now. <laughs> and I have two oh, cats. Man. I won't hit a cat, but you know, I, uh, <laughs> I watched this with my dad yesterday and he just was like tuning out the whole time was not into <laughs> it. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he thought this was going to be, but he definitely was not into it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that leads us to like, the introduction of Fritz and his two buddies whose names I've somehow forgotten to write down. <laughs> and they're really pissed that all these younger guys are hanging around playing folk tunes. You know, they took their spot in the park. It, it's a really great little way to introduce these characters and what their motivations are. <laughs> right. And right. like, we basically lose touch with the other two characters after Fritz leaves to go uh, canoodle with these women. But yeah, they're, they have some really like good dialogue. Like I definitely think Bashley did this outside, at least for their dialogue. All the, all the Fritz dialogue seems pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty damn studio, but everything else like seems so natural outside, you know, like all the yeah. people playing in the park sound like people playing in the park for better or worse. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. Um, did you, did you like the scene at all, Chuck? Like, I, I know, like, yeah, I, I remember you saying you liked his little, like, buddies that were hanging around with him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a, I agree with you that it was a good way to introduce the characters. I mean, even though these two characters are pretty much gone 
after this scene. But I did think it was a good way to introduce really Fritz and to set him up because it was very economical. And we know pretty much what this cat is about from the beginning. And, you know, the idea in most films is that as this character progresses, they're going to change in the end because this is an hour and 20 minute movie, you know, versus like television where characters aren't really supposed to change. Like, you know, they, their relationships might change, but them as people, they're not supposed to change as much. And so I, I think that's what makes it all the more disheartening. And we'll obviously get to it at the end of the film, but I think that's what makes it even more disheartening and kind of drives the message home that this movement was kind of bullshit is that, Okay, well, Fritz starts out this way and he pretty much gives the same speech that he's going to give here soon in the end, you know? So um, I I think it is an effective way to introduce a character because we think to ourselves, there's nowhere this cat can go but up. And (laughs) and yet he goes up, but then he crashes right back down. Um, So um, the other thing I liked about this scene is... um, well, I guess we haven't gotten to it yet. Like the the next part with the with the dogs and the crow. Yeah. Uh, um. So I'll refrain from yeah. talking about that. That's that's okay. I, I you could let it in, but that's cool too. You know, like uh, Fritz recognizes these women coming down. You know, the 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 end of the park, and they all start playing furiously, trying to get their attention. They play so furiously, they break their guitars like while they're playing, and they're left with like these broken husk of guitars with strings hanging out. And uh, that's a good comedic point i think there for the film because it establishes like this tone we're going to take we're going to be very broad you know like right. like in our humor but our it's going to be like naturally broad in a way like create blending the sensibilities of urban new york with things like Looney tunes you know or more specifically terry tunes which actually worked out for a good 10 years or so before he had made this movie and uh you know one of the <laughs> When, when the guys like notice them leaving, I think there's a very specific racial quote that he says, you know, like, uh, like all the chicks are, in, are into black guys or whatever, you know, they, they right. use a, uh, the SP slur, which I'm going to keep myself from saying, uh, I will, I would like <laughs> yeah. to mention on this podcast. I don't really care what you say, but if other people get angry at you for saying it, that sure as hell ain't my problem. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, I think that's free speech. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. The, um, if I if I may, please the, the park. The fact that it opens on Washington Square Park and with the musicians. Yeah, my dad is a musician. Oh, he is in that park all the time playing yeah? his bass. <laughs> really? <laughs> so this was so normal, like. Oh look, they're in Washington Square Park playing. Yeah, any <laughs> any given weekend you can catch my dad there with his friends. Does this movie funny. feel yeah. really cozy for you as a New Yorker? Yes, um, in ways that were real, like musicians in Washington Square Park and the conversations. But then some things felt very stereotyped, and yeah. and so far the only thing like that we've spoken about is the opening with the construction workers but um there were other moments in the film that felt like that too you know just like the almost in a way if the movie was written by two people one who lived in new york their whole life and one who's only heard about it you know what i mean wow and it went back and forth like that for me so that was interesting because i i don't think i've ever noticed anything like that where it, where it has the elements of both you know yeah. it's usually one yeah. or the other yeah, I'm a, sure that's probably a split between Crumb and Bakshi, and because, like, Bakshi has to adapt to Crumb's work at least a little bit on the surface to be able to sell this thing, because this was not the movie he really wanted to make. Like, <laughs> he wanted to make Heavy Traffic, the film after this first, but because that was such a personal thing, um, his producer was just telling him, like, look, dude, you're not going to sell this. Like, this is not going to appeal to people that are running these studios (laughs) um which i kind of wish he had been able to make heavy traffic with this team because this team was a little 
bigger in a certain way. Like they both share highly beloved animation experts like working on <laughs> you know each each uh each set you know i guess that's the best way to correct a mo- uh, animated movie is so weird there's not really a set in an animated movie you know you got a bunch of people in a studio creating most of the things <laughs> right um yeah so fritz follows them and he kind of watches them like hit on this crow like in very oblique <laughs> like stuffy manners you know they um you mentioned one time to me that this this sounds like people on twitter eh chuck yeah it does (laughs) (laughs) there there are some things here that i'm kind of like oh man i see that on twitter all the time you know and and i mean yeah it does sound like twitter i I can't (laughs) especially like political twitter you know like that little that little sliver of that little part of the world uh, it does feel like that, and it's just so. I mean, the the crow can see right through them. Yeah, there's no, there's no kind of. He's not hitting back on them. He's not biting on all the stuff. Like when one of them says, "Why does James Earl Jones have to play black characters?" It's like, okay, you know, it's <laughs> one of those things where it's like you kind of escalate a little bit. Oh, I've been yeah, reading sure. James Baldwin or I work with black kids and da, 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 da. And then finally it's like asking why James Earl Jones has to play black characters all the time. It's kind of like, Oh my God. You know, I mean, it's just such a condescending, yeah. <laughs> like just, it, it, it drove me nuts. There's um, a, yeah. It's, it's really intense. And, um, it's one of the points in the film where I'm not for sure how much irony we're supposed to take in it, like <laughs> compared right. to just actual, like, you know, straight up race hate humor or whatever. But I do think like it's raw in a way that animated films had never been before about race. And I think this like type of thing is kind of healthy for, for some artists. Like you may not say that it's like the best thing for a, like Matt, you know, a huge artist you know, to be pushed putting out but essentially Bakshi wasn't that big of a guy until this film was released you know they had no faith in him this film was like the most successful independent animated film of all time and he just like had to scrape this money together through whoever he could get it from and the studios had no like interest in even releasing it most of the time like I think he finally got a deal with Warner's and when they put it out, you know, it became this huge thing. <laughs> yeah. And he was suddenly the biggest thing in animation since Walt Disney because of how much money it was making and the reviews it were was getting were pretty positive on the whole. Like, <laughs> um, right. Well, I, I mean, I think this is the first indication too that we're we're getting into territory where. this is when I first really started to realize that nobody is going to be treated well in this movie. And I'm not saying that as like an unjust thing. I mean, I do think that there are characters in the movie that are fundamentally decent. I was almost a decent people, a decent characters, you know, Harriet comes to mind. I mean, I feel like Harriet's the one towards the end that I'm just, I'm kind of wanting to protect at all costs. But, um, uh, you know, this is the first indication I think we get that it's kind of like it's where I thought Bakshi doesn't agree with yeah. any of these people. I mean, I think that the crows are probably treated, I would say, better in the movie than the rest of the characters overall. But, you know, it's nobody kind of gets off the hook in this movie. One way yeah, or another, they, they're on the hook. So, <laughs> yeah, like I think they're, <laughs> I think they're all kind of like putting on this air in their performance that gives you the necessary hint to show that these people are assholes that are not treating this person right. And the way he's looking at them, like we see, like he doesn't, we don't even see his eyes. Like he has glasses on the whole time. Right. So all you have are these like little indications of him looking to the side and looking at them and not acknowledging them. And I think that's a pretty smart choice, like in an animated film at that time, because you don't. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and this is where he walks away and makes the reference to Geraldine, which is that Flip Wilson character, uh, Geraldine Jones, I think. I mean, it seems to do like an impression of her, but, and, you know, I mean, I, I think the thing that I, 
I, I liked about the movie was that it calls out this guilt that, you know, certain, let's just say it, it calls out white guilt, I think. Yeah, totally. In a way that I think is kind of interesting. And I think this here is is proof positive of that. And, but it's with these people where they're trying to latch on to a movement. They're constantly trying to latch on. They're constantly, you know, like these three um, dogs are trying to um, find somebody to, to save. Like with yeah. the crow, it's to kind of assuage their, assuage their guilt with uh, Fritz here in a minute. It's just like, we got to save this guy. And, and, you know, I, I like that part of it. I like the part that that stuff's just kind of called out and it's almost, it doesn't matter who you are in the movie. Again, they don't get off the hook. Everybody gets called out for something, you know? Yeah. And um, so I do, I dig that quite a bit. Now, now I'm starting to sound like I'm in Fritz the Cat. I dig that, man, you know? But, <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's okay. Um, if you guys have any libations you want to <laughs> get into, that's totally cool too. <laughs> if I break out like, my, my ukulele and start going into Lemon Song, just stop me right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 16 times of Lemon Tree. <laughs> <laughs> lemon Tree, right, yeah. Lemon Song, Lemon Zeppelin. Yeah. Well, when the crow exits after telling these girls off, um, and one of these people is a is a rabbit, I think, too. And she has a very pointed line about like comparing the Jewish struggle to the African American struggle and that she would know it because she's Jewish. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Fritz starts playing this whole angle to get them interested in him that he's like this, you know, sad, tortured poet type person. And they follow him down the street, you know, and he finally gets one of them interested in him. And then the other two, like, they get a little jealous and they start to, <laughs> they start asking him, you know, why, why are you paying attention to us? Uh, Oh, the specific line is, uh, <laughs> what about my soul, you think? Which I, I've always liked that line, like every time I go through the film. <laughs> that, this you... is the scene, too, where they have the, he's talking to them as they go down the street, and you see a peace sign with an American flag behind it in the background for just a, a few frames. Yeah. And then the next shot, it's not there anymore. And <laughs> I liked how he how Bakshi did some of that in the film where there are just little things that pop up every once in a while. And you think, wait, did I see that? Or am I projecting here or what's happening? Um, you know, and this was the first scene that I really started to realize, Oh man, now I've got to watch the background too. Like I'm totally, (laughs) I'm juggling here as a viewer, which I like, you know, but yeah, I, uh, I I do a lot of that when I go through this film. Like I, I probably pay more attention to the animation than I do what's being said a lot of the time. Uh-huh. And frankly, I think it helps it, this movie go down far, far more because I think it contributes to the hallucinatory nature of the film when, when you yeah. notice these little details that pop in and out. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually had a pretty good time with the animation that's go around because there were just things I hadn't really been taken into account, you know, beforehand because I'd just been fading off listening to the dialogue more than anything. Um, how did you feel about the animation? Like <laughs> Lisa? It, it was a little nostalgic. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, okay. So I was born in 79. So I grew up watching the cartoons of the eighties and like, right. One of my favorite movies is called Gay Paris. I don't know. A lot of people never even heard of it, but I'm I'm not familiar. Thank you. For yeah, it's it's just a cartoon um, movie about some French cats. You know, whatever. Yeah. But um, but it was one of my favorite movies as a kid, and the animation is very similar. And yeah. even like Felix the Cat and um, Betty Boop. So it had like that. It just reminded me of my childhood. I mean, even though I wasn't around for most of the 70s yeah, you know yeah. but but it still uh, it, had that feeling for me you know of watching cartoons as a kid totally yeah, <laughs> yeah these uh these people were all like animation veterans that had worked at disney warner brothers terry tunes and uh Bakshi himself like i said before had been at terry tunes for 10 years as a director and um i would also like to point that out right now because 
the fact that Bakshi had been a director at Terry Tunes for 10 years really colors his whole career as a director because um, the fact that he pretty much works alone coming up with all these like films a good deal of the time and <laughs> he does almost all the storyboards and things for him. Um, when he was working at Terry Tunes as a director, you pretty much did all the planning for every cartoon and you didn't hardly do any writing for a cartoon. So he'd kind of been learning how to be a writer up until the time this film was made, made too. And uh, I think it really, <laughs> you yeah, there are definitely like raw points in how the characterizations are handled, but I think it's like a real testament to what a talent he was. Uh, even at this time, he could convey so much <laughs> like in his work. And this is only his first film. You know, he'd only been doing shorts, like maybe shorts, half hour TV shows, he had helped produce the seasons two and three of the Spider-Man cartoon, the 67, 68 Spider-Man cartoon. But essentially he hadn't ever done a lot of full on film. Yeah. Um, I'm with Lisa on that though, too, because I was born in 73, which was what, like the year after this movie came out. This came out in 72. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so I wasn't really like i don't really remember the 70s you know what i mean like yeah. i was hitting kindergarten probably when you were born lisa about that time and <laughs> um and so i you know looking at it i mean of course we were getting into the territory where reruns like in the 80s reruns were a big deal so it'd be nothing to see like the 67 68 spider-man on tv yeah. on saturday morning you know and so it does. I did kind of bring back. I didn't really connect with that until you just said that, Lisa. Like this did bring back some nostalgia for me. I think that is one reason I connected with it because there was that. There were those nostalgia points you could hook onto, and then there was this extra kind of psychedelic layer behind it that I didn't really expect on my fir first viewing, and I still find new things in on repeated viewings. You know, so yeah, really fascinating animation. Are are either of you a fan of the mid eighties Mighty Mouse run back she did? I don't know if I ever saw it. Oh yeah, it was on. It was on for a couple of seasons, and um, like every Backstreet production <laughs> at the time, it was kind of a like big deal in TV circles because they they basically brought humor back to Saturday morning because everything around at that time was all like toy commercials and things. Right. And right. they brought a whole ton of satire to all the big trends of Saturday morning cartoons at that time. And so this helped usher in a whole bunch of animation legends like John Kay, who this podcast does not endorse because he's a creep, <laughs> which we can talk about more later, I guess, but I don't want to let it slow us down now. Um, and Bruce Tim, who helped herald Batman, the animated series, one of the greatest goddamn cartoons ever put on television. How do you know the difference? Is there like, Bakshi version of Mighty Mouse and then another version? I mean, I remember oh, yeah, as yeah. a kid, I just, I, I had no idea there were, you know, there was a differentiation. Yeah, yeah. I didn't either. Yeah, um, the Mighty Mouse, like, <laughs> before the 80s is from, like, different people, which Bakshi worked on some of the 50s and 60s Mighty Mouse cartoons. And, like, he probably didn't have a whole lot of creative control over there, but he's definitely doing some time and work, some line work on those Mighty Mouse cartoons throughout the 50s and 60s. He worked at Terry Tunes for 10 years, so he did a whole bunch of stuff there <laughs> for, you know, yeah, a while. But uh, in the, the ones in the 80s, like, he basically was wanting to get, like, an original project done but all the television stations were like you gotta have a licensed character it was the same deal with this movie like the only reason he really made this movie was because this was a licensed character he thought he could work with and uh yeah there's 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 a really weird uh story about how they got the rights to this but i'll keep that for later that'll be a little more fun later <laughs> but the mighty mouse cartoon in the 80s was like made with almost all fresh people like people who had just gotten out of art school and these were all animators that were you know in their early 20s mid mid 20s late 20s you know Bakshi seems to have a uh Ever since I'd say about Coonskin, he's really been interested in having younger people work on his animated films and bring like a different energy to it. A uh, great thing about the Bakshi Productions is that, you know, even, even though he has, you know, the main creative control and we would definitely frown on it today as having complete creative control, he was very open with his 
animators. I, I heard an interview with him yesterday when I was kind of preparing for this film where he talked about how like his idea of cartooning is a bunch of guys showing up at a building and going to make cartoons and trying to be there because they want to be around each other and they want to make cartoons and on the break they play cards and they have a good time and then they go back to making cartoons because they have a good time making cartoons and you know if there's <laughs> if there's one sentiment I can I can say about the guy is that he has a like unabashed love of working class animation roots and it's it's projected his career in a way that other people probably haven't because because <laughs> he's embraced that sense of working class animation so wholeheartedly. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, Fritz leads these girls up to his buddy's pad, and <laughs> he opens the door. His buddy opens the door and looks at him and says, hey, it's Fritz the Cat, and he's become stud of the year, which is a joke I've always gotten a laugh at. Um which I, I basically, I, no, I, I discovered that one a couple of uh, viewings ago. <laughs> because, like, the, the sound in this video, in this movie, I spend so much time, like, listening to all the different things because it overlaps so often, you know. It's, it's such raw audio work. And I almost wish Bakshi had let somebody else come in and do a little more with it, but it, it's still part of the film's charm. And, right. uh, yeah, he leads these girls into the bathroom for... You know, some kind of orgy scene, you might say, and uh, <laughs> it's it's a little hard to watch. Like, it, I think in today's age, I think it was probably funnier back in the late sixties, especially like I imagine a good deal of the audience for this fucking thing was like white college kids, so they were probably laughing their ass off too at this. But I I don't particularly find it funny, though. I do think the animation is very vibrant in a way that makes me uncomfortable it shouldn't be that good <laughs> for what we're doing in this thing <laughs> um how did you feel about this lisa did this, did this <laughs> inspire a lot of feelings in you um <laughs> <laughs> wait a second Hang on. Oh, <laughs> no, like we're not taking that out of context guys okay uh, no so Yes. Watching it in today's eyes was very what the fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Hashtag me too. Um, yeah. But granted, this movie was made 40 some odd years ago. So, you know, in those eyes, you know, it's probably tame. Um, yeah. Um, but it actually... was... oh, go I'm ahead. sorry. Oh, no, but I was just going to say it was like the first. So as, as Fritz is walking back to the apartment with the, with the dogs, I'm already like, oh, so look. So the only females in the movie are stupid. Got it. <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm like, all right, well, maybe it's a fluke. You know, maybe it's just a character. And then it's so funny because then they get back and then it's like they're even dumber. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. what? what is wrong with you? Um like these girls must have been from Long Island or something. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just saying, but you know, I'm just like, what, like, uh, who, what, like, where were you raised? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my totally. God, I was, had it drilled into my head since I was a kid, you know, started taking the subway and whatnot. You don't talk to strangers. You don't fall for anything. Nobody is telling the truth. Like it was yeah. just nature is, are you sure? Like, I don't yeah. know, you know, skeptical. Yeah. Just be skeptical because everybody is out right. to to get you one way or the other. So I'm like, right. what? Like, you can't possibly be this stupid. <laughs> but you know, it's, but it's funny in the sense that look, they're so stupid, and you would never do that in real life. So <laughs> there's that yeah. kind of, well, probably, but you know, <laughs> you know. But then there's that kind of take on it where you can watch it and laugh because. Yeah, it's it's dumb. It's it's unrealistic. Is it? Yeah, I, I mean, mean yeah. I I do make a lot of concessions to the whole Bakshi War about it being a cartoon. Like everything in the Bakshi universe is a cartoon on some level, except for I'd say American Pop, which is probably the most realistic animated film he ever did. And it's a beautiful film. It, it has it has its problems too, like the whole Bakshi War, but. Yeah, it's definitely worth a moment if you ever come across it. Uh, yeah, I, have a, um, I have a question, though, for, for you, Lisa, about how you think Fritz comes off in this scene. Because as a guy watching the scene, I looked at Fritz and I was like, God, this guy's an asshole. You know, like, <laughs> I hate this guy. 
Like I just, um, what he's like, you know, I, I mean, and that's, I don't know. I, I just, I, <laughs> I just I like mean, Fritz, you know, I, he's opportunistic. Exactly. Sure. To be kind. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was getting kind of salesman vibes because he was just in there. Like he just yeah. knew exactly what to say to his audience to get what he wanted. And right, I was right. like, Oh, I feel so slimy. Like, you know, I need a shower after watching this because he's just so easy with it. Just right off the tongue. And then, and then the best part is that even after he has them hooks, he just keeps going like, mm-hmm. yeah. like, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't even have to look at you. Yeah. yeah. I got right. You. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, asshole works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think there is a slight moment where the girls like assert their, <laughs> independence on on the scene you know like they're getting a little jealous of the other woman and they're saying well maybe we should just go maybe if he's not going to pay attention to us and i think that clues us in that maybe these girls you know are willing to mess around with fritz because they know he's a dude that like could help them <laughs> get laid you know or get high um <laughs> you know the scene is interrupted by fritz's buddy coming in and kind of checking out what's going on and all these other people come in and this one big bird just comes in and like rudely jumps in the bathtub and starts going to town, which was one of the most shocking things about the whole film when I first watched it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I couldn't believe like I think it's a lot like <laughs> it's hard for me to say. Like I think it says a lot about Bashy's reality that he throws this in like so easily. Like there's no warning there's no threat about it he just muscles himself in and starts going to town with these girls and like getting them stoned and they're pretty cool and confident with it which we could take a lot of ways definitely after we look at the science of how sexuality works and how that's panned out over the past uh, you know some odd years and um um yeah, after this is when the cops like arrive. After, after we get a little bit of the scene, and the camera moves out from the window down to the bottom of the street to show the cops coming in from the bottom, and they're talking about how there's, you know, these hippies up there smoking pot and partying. And uh, I can't talk. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You've heard us. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I was a. <laughs> I was going to ask you if y'all wanted to take a break or whatever, you know, just just in case. I mean, because we'll probably maybe take another hour or so just to get everything wrapped up. I'm. I didn't honestly think. I thought we'd be a little further along, so my bad. <laughs> um, no, I'm. I'm good. Um, I may have to reposition my phone just because I. Yeah. I, yeah. Whenever. I thought I'd be doing it on the computer. <laughs> So I'm trying yeah. to hold this steady. Totally. <laughs> You're going to have carpal tunnel by the time this is yeah, over. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You I can't get, cook dinner tonight. Do you want to go to like a kitchen or something? Like we'd, we'd have enough video. Or if you just want to turn the video off, you can do that too. We'd have enough video to put out for advertising. Like we don't have to have the whole video. Oh, no. I don't mind. I just, with it plugged into the um, headset. Oh, I'm, okay. I have to hold the charger, so if I have like maybe a minute, I can see if I can just find a yeah. something to lean it up against. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, hey, yeah, take a moment. I'm upside down now. It's okay. We're all upside down sometimes. <laughs> yeah. One of us is in the okay. dark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On many things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's where I live my life. <sighs> okay, I think this will work now. Okay. Do you feel comfortable being an upside down person? Oh, am I upside down now? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, really? Not for me or not? (laughs) Oh, really? That's weird. Yeah, not for me either. Okay, wait. Now I'm upside down. Hold on. Yeah. Now you're upside. Oh, now now you're right side up again. Okay. Okay. Aren't you right side up for you, Robbie? Uh, Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Good. (laughs) Okay. Hey, that's perfect. Awesome. What does your shirt say? Oh, it says uh, everything I learned. Uh, I I learned on oh, the street. Everything I know I learned on the streets. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Sesame yeah. Street. That's cool. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. That's fantastic. My mother used to record them for me when I was little. Just oh. Straight videos and videos and probably to get out me out of her way. But hey. Who's, yeah. Who's the joke on now? And I can read them right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching the Muppet Show on uh, Disney, and uh, oh, it, so it it uh, holds up so much better than it has any fucking right to. Like, 
they get away with so many jokes that are just like straight funny. Like they are just un unaffably funny. Like in ways that <laughs> that ring true. You know, like uh, you know what's crazy is that I I watched a couple episodes of the Muppets on Disney Plus and. I had never seen the show. I'd only ever seen the movies as a kid. You know, oh. I would see the movies and collected the little, you know, the little drinking glasses from wherever, you yeah. know, Taco Bell or whatever. But I had never seen the show until like a few weeks ago. <laughs> and wow. I really loved it. You know, I was really, yeah. really impressed with it. So, yeah. I cannot say enough how much I admire the Muppet show. If I ever made one thing in my life that was even a fraction as good as that fucking TV show, I'd die a happy man. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> okay, the camera pans down to the bottom of the the apartment complex, and we see these two cops walk up, and they're talking about how they've gotten a call of all these hippies, you know, smoking pot and having sex. So they're going to go up and check it out and bust the door in, and... Their names are Ralph and Robert, and uh, <laughs> Ralph is the new guy. Robert's the old guy. Robert is played by Ralph Bashy. I, I do not know who the other voice actor is, but um, you compare this to the Keystone Cops the last time we talked, Chuck. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> except much more dangerous, I think. I oh, yeah, totally. I don't think the Keystone Cops were, like, breaking chairs to beat, you know, people to yeah. death with the legs, uh, but... I, I like this in that these two guys, they're negotiating on who gets to do what. So one wants yeah. to search the women and, and one wants to beat or the other guy is kind of like, oh, I've been around. I get to do all this stuff. Just whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, nobody gets off the hook, which is fine by me. But um, but it is interesting because, again, these guys, they have this culture. Right. And they have this yeah. this image that they want to uphold. And I doesn't one of them try to use like a, a voice to try to get in like this is the yeah. police and it sounds like John Wayne yeah. or something, you know, yeah. and it's interesting. It's once you I mean, you you guys know how it is. Once you start watching something and you think that you've hooked into some thematic element of it in the beginning, you can't unsee it. Like every scene yeah. that comes up, you start to say, oh, OK. Here's a cultural thing. I mean, here in a minute, we're going into a synagogue. It's a cultural, like they're, they're just all these cultural um, or these, yeah, I guess cultural kind of like bubbles yeah. that Bakshi kind of runs this movie through. So, yeah, it was a marked departure in animation of almost all kinds up to that point because we just, there had been no political animation like this made ever, you know, that like fully tried to explore the <laughs> the generation collapse that that many people had been experiencing you know even from the late 50s into the early 70s you know i think a part of this film also captures an essence of the beat culture that was kind of fading away in the middle 60s and moving its way into hippie dumb um, I think it is odd, though, about this film is that we don't get as many Beatles references as <laughs> you might think. Yeah. I think it's very strange that, like, some of the music, like, the music is always imposed over on the characters to create, like, their tone. But it's not actually music the characters are playing around them to soundtrack their lives. Did, did you notice that, like, Chuck? Like, I just now, like, started thinking about this. Like, this music, this, this movie really doesn't have, like, people listening to music. And it doesn't have people reading books. It has, like, people living in the moment without consuming media. And, like, even when people are consuming things, it's like food or they're, they're like, shutting for their exams. You right, know? right. And, like, Fritz actively, like, rebels against, like, his, like, in his his college education on all his what he calls bullshit right so like yeah i found that really interesting please give it yeah yeah i mean i think it's it's fascinating when you see something like this where you're not getting the songs that we expect to be there the songs yeah. that might have been on the radio or whatever but you're getting music that people were probably listening to you know what i mean because yeah for me, it's kind of like sometimes I hear something about this musician and somebody's talking about them like, oh, I can't believe such and such is coming to, uh, you know, wh whatever uh, yeah. corporate arena down the street. And 
I'm kind of like, who is that? You know, and not in the way yeah. that like, who? Like, if I don't know them, they're not famous. It's just kind of like, I don't know who that is. I've just never heard that yeah. person. Because I think that, you know, then I, I imagine people probably listen to the radio more often than not yeah. than we do now, you know. But there's also a lot of situations where, for instance, like once we get to Harlem, we're in a situation where there's a jukebox. So the jukebox probably doesn't, it may or may not reflect what's on the radio, you know, and the guys playing in the park may or may not reflect what's on the radio, you know, because folk music's always kind of had a push pull with radio play. So, yeah, um, it is, it is interesting that we don't see Fritz, a writer ever read a book or yes. a self-professed writer ever read a book. Yes. Um, in fact, if anything, he burns them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what an asshole. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, that is an interesting point. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it until now, but yeah, you're right. I mean, but you know, like by the 1972, like were the Beatles still a thought for people as much, you know what I mean? Cause once the band yeah. breaks up, you, you know, I know people wanted to get back together, but I think yeah. people wanted to get back together more later on. You know, yeah, once Lennon definitely. was killed, and I think people were kind of like, wait a minute, we can't get this group back together ever again. But with all that said about the music in the movie, though, because I we've got to move on, obviously. But yeah, totally. the music in this movie is great. I mean, yeah. the the please, uh, please, please say this. Please save it. OK. All right. Yeah. You know where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, we're just going to move off from that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to kind of keep right. that a little more chronological for uh, <laughs> editing. Right. No problem. Yeah, um, the hippie girls and the other guys that have formed this orgy in the bathtub, are they all seem to be having a pretty good time overall. So I guess you could say there's a certain level of consent going on, though it's definitely seedy and disgusting. <laughs> um, yeah, they're really uh, giving Fritz a hard time. Fritz is not having a good time getting his like body pushed against by this big guy's ass and watching his girls get taken by everyone in the apartment. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of very like specific scenes of dialogue where this aardvark and the rabbit like end up talking to each other. They have some like period like piece like dialogue and i think it's a like specific satire on like the youth culture like films that were around and how they were portraying drugs and grass you know the aardvark talks about how he's not there you know he doesn't know if he's going to get there how does he know when he's going to get there you know and the right. the rabbit tells him like oh you'll know when you're there like <laughs> and she's just says it's okay uh, at one point he asked if she's ever made it with an aardvark which i I take a little bit of humor in just the idea <laughs> that he specifically wants to know she's ever made it with an aardvark. But, um, yeah, this leads to the cops like busting into the apartment after they've had their little, uh, little, uh, rile up ritual where they get all excited so they can get inside and like bust up these hippies. <laughs> and they, uh, they eventually make their way into the bathroom. Fritz like has finally gotten high by the time they got into the bathroom and he's buzzing all over. And when they bust in, he like jumps in the toilet and like hides. <laughs> and then like, he, uh, he jumps out like as they're starting to beat up on his buddies. And this is where the film kind of devolves into pure chaos for the moment. Like for the first moment in the film. How this how did this make you feel like all the violence just supposed with this like wanton sexuality, Lisa? Um I, hmm, I didn't really think about it like that, but I'm trying to I'm, sorry. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of a creative way to say like didn't care. I mean, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I love it. That's great. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's just, I, I guess maybe I'm like, I don't know if I'm desensitized to it or if it's totally. just a common truth in, in media, but it just, it just didn't stick out to me at all. It just flowed. Yeah. I, uh, I think this movie plays like kind of, like it's not it's not unshocking, but it definitely plays sort of bland today, and it's hard to justify the X rating given to it. And even at the time, Backstreet and the Crave team basically said, "We don't understand why this is getting an X rating. We really don't have that much sex going on, like full on penetration going on, or anything like that. This is not a pornographic film." 
Like I, I, I do believe it borders on pornographic in ways that they were not like <laughs> acknowledging. Like, but at the same time, I, I do agree with them. I don't, I don't see the thing as an X-rated film, especially because it's a cartoon with animals. Like the, the nastiest thing there was when he went into the toilet. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no way. Uh-uh. Yeah, like what no. the fuck is that joke? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's also establishes a real kitchen sink, like <laughs> approach to humor in this movie. Like it's a cartoon world. So these characters can do anything regardless of how fucking terrible we think it is. You know, Fritz can hide in a toilet <laughs> and yeah. then pop out and no one will comment on his smell or like his fur isn't wet either. Like he hid in a toilet, like and his fur isn't even wet. <laughs> well, and apparently when you, when you shoot a toilet, it causes a tsunami. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I was yeah. not I did not know that that would happen. Yeah, I particularly love how loose the animation is on that. Like 